Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective. Uh, for us, but not for you, it's NFL Wild Card Weekend, and uh, we will be heading off to watch the second half. Well, we'll probably be, be walking off to see the beginning of the Jaguar game. How you doing, Andrew? Doing well. Doing well. That is good. Good to be in good company. Yeah, it is. So, you talked about the Bill Simmons podcast with um, Zach Lowe. Sure. And uh, he did a home and home, as they call it, which I actually had to download the, the uh, Bill Simmons podcast to listen to the first half, and then I'll just get rid of it now. Although I do want to hear him guess the lines with Cousin Sal for four and a half hours uh, <laughs> tomorrow. And this kind of came up. They were talking about the all-NBA teams. And so I started looking into it. Which NBA player has the most selections as an all-NBA point guard with 12? And, and to be clear, I did not count LeBron as a point guard. Right. I mean, because he, he's always listed as a front court player. Uh, LeBron has the record of 18. This record is 12. 10 first teams. And I'm going to give you a hint that it will only make things more confusing. He finished his career with the Kings. But all of his All-NBAs were when he was playing for a different team. Bob Pettit. Wrong, uh, right first name, wrong last name. Bob Pettit was a forward. Uh, Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy. Yes. Mike Bibby. Bob Cousy with 12. 10 first team, two second teams. Dead or alive? Uh, dead. As we speak, he's doing a podcast yeah. claiming that Sam Jones... He made a comment about okay, like, yeah. Saying that Sam Jones is an all-time top 10 player. Uh, he's 94 years old, still kicking. Um, he is alive. I need to go, like, I suck at this. this is, it's fucking embarrassing, <laughs> honestly. This is a shoot. Like, I'm legitimately pissed right now, honestly. I thought that was I a fair suck. question. It's a great question. I should have gotten right. I just, I the fact he played for the Kings for seven games shocked me. Um, You're also a lot yeah. more quick off the draw these days. Yeah. Usually, sometimes you'll take 20, 30 seconds and ask a question or two. These last five or six, you're just. You start feeling the pressure. Pew, pew, pew. You, start, you, get, you get out of your. You know, get out of your right hey, mind. You like Zach Wilson. You just need to reset, work on the fundamentals. You know, sure. reach them. Get in that almanac, man. For sure. Uh, and, like, and, need a minute. and buy us all uh, ATVs. Because um, that worked out. I'm sure that worked out yeah. real. How many of those ATVs are now on eBay? Yeah. He bought ATVs for his entire teammate? Uh, uh, offensive line? Yeah, motorbikes? motorbikes? They're all on eBay. Um, how are you doing, Zach? Doing I mean, doing okay. I mean, you know, we, we record this part of the podcast last, so while we've been recording the other parts of the podcast, I got to watch my Rhode Island Rams just get blown off the court by our rival UMass, so that was fun. I tried to I watch. Tr I tried to limit. Brandon warned me to limit my dams and fucks while I was watching <laughs> the game last night, so I tried to keep it as quiet as possible. I I tried to watch some of that game. I'm not saying it's always great. And... They should have given every player who hit a basket $100,000. They could have easily afforded it. They, nobody hit anything. It was, like, unbelievable. Yeah, both both teams shot in the 30% yeah, range. Yeah, right, because that's what you want to watch. So, when Homer Simpson goes to work for Scorpio, you remember this episode? I do. One of the great ones. He makes an extravagant football-related purchase. He buys Tom Landry's hat. <laughs> That's what he does. He buys Tom Landry's hat. If Tom Landry's hat doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. <laughs> yeah, and uh, see, it's this. Guy, I, this is why I can't believe I finished fucking second in Simpsons trivia. 
I had to that, work. Uh, that's that is. I will carry that with me. That is that is my scarlet letter. If I didn't have to work, I would have picked up enough ancillary questions that we would have been good. It was all the merchandising questions. I was like, they were like, what video game from 1990 for Game Boy? And I'm like, I, I was fucking one. Like, <laughs> Oh, what was that called? It was um, it was Bart in the Escape from Camp something. Oh, uh, Camp Krusty. No, it's not Camp Krusty. Oh. If it was Camp Krusty, that yeah. would have made sense. All right. I did not. Yeah, I would. I did not. Would not have gotten that I'm one. Still, I'm still a little wound up from I, I Thursday was just, night. I was just very upset that this establishment, which had Simpsons trivia, and our producer used to run, scheduled it on a night, Simpsons trivia on a night where I had negotiations, and we settled the contract. That was good. We settled the contract. Got a good TA. But all I could think about is, God damn it, I wish I was doing the Simpsons trivia with Zach and Alicia and everybody. It would have been great. But you came in second. Did you get a gift card at least? I got a drink ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Things at the social aren't going as well as they used to. Yeah, huh? I, got, I got one drink ticket. <laughs> I couldn't even use it that night. I've got to go back. And get... <laughs> all right. So what will you be ranting about, Zach? I'll be ranting about... Uh, my favorite congressman in the world right now, George Santos. I am going to be ranting about the, the ghost of libertarian past, uh, Grover Norquist, who is the second longest Grover, third longest, most important Grover in American history after Grover Cleveland and Grover Gro from the Muppets. Yeah. Grover, Cle uh, Grover uh, Cleveland Alexander. He's the fourth most important. Right? And Grover Cleveland could actually count twice on the list as right. long as he's not consecutive. What are you going to be reading about, uh, Andrew? Uh, Vince McMahon's disgraced return to, w to WWE in the um, imminent bidding war for his life's work. And our main topic today? Get that crystal ball out. Get your, you know, what's it, who was it, Miss Cleo? Was that the column? Miss Cleo. Cleo. Free title rating. Uh, we're going to look into look at the playoffs the next three or four weeks of some playoff prognostications. We're going to look at um, this forthcoming NFL draft, the future of the Jets quarterback position, the future of Bill Belichick. It's all next. It's it's a it's a feel-good football Friday here on the Bill Bradley Collective. Driving into the crossroads of sports and politics. We are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Ed, Zach, and Andrew. So now that we have a seated Speaker of the House, the um, House of Representatives can get busy not doing the people's work. And one of the things they are working on is, you know, what is the proper way to not raise the debt ceiling so that we could pay for bills that we've already incurred? Um, Kevin McCarthy has heroically refused to comment, but credible reports are that the GOP is now looking to say that the most critical, in their words, um, bills can be paid by the Biden administration um, but only those. So they want to decide not just, how, you know, whether or not the debt ceiling could be reached, but for what uh, could be lifted, but for what provisions they have. 
this is a technical and boring argument. It makes no sense. And it never, it never happened until we elected a black person. And then it became a thing that we had to do all the time for the Republicans. I would like to point out that the Democrats did not at any one time threaten to withhold the debt, raising the debt ceiling under Trump. Never happened. But when they also could have raised the debt ceiling when they had, I mean, all of this could have been avoided. Yes, the Democrats they could, could have just done it. The Democrats could have just raised the debt ceiling, but that would have required a level of courage that for those of you who have landed in the country the last eight weeks, Democrats do not usually show. Um, all of that being said, I'm reading this article about it just because I think I should. And then I get to this paragraph in the New York Times article. Uh, I Here's a life hack. If you go through the Huffington Post, you can read New York Times articles even if you don't have the New York Times subscription, which is a good thing. Um, but... Quote, Grover Norquist, founder and president of the Americans for Tax Reform, a conservative advocacy group, said geo lawmakers have stepped up discussions in recent days to take over a debt prioritization plan. The thing that gets me there is if I had to bet if Dever, uh, Grover Norquist was dead or alive, I would have bet dead. Why? Because he started this nonsense about debt ceilings and everything else. In 1986, on the advice of Ronald Reagan, part of being an adult, somebody wrote this on Twitter, part of being an adult in America is realizing that everything bad began with uh, Ronald Reagan, or at least has ties into Ronald Reagan. And Grover Norquist is still helping to make policy in the Republican Party, or what passes for policy in the Republican Party, even though he has never been right about anything once ever. He is the one that famously said government should be so small that we could drown it in the bathtub. But my favorite comment about Grover Norquist was by Alan Simpson. A, um, Alan Simpson was a Republican legislator out of Wyoming, but today would have absolutely no place in the Republican Party. Um, and he said about Norquist that his plan was we will never raise taxes even if it destroys the country we live in. Simpson hated Norquist, thought he was a zealot and a moron. Simpson is, was right. Norquist was wrong. They are both still alive and no one talks to Alan Simpson and everyone talks to Grover Norquist because in the world of punditry, I mean, this is a man, um, you know, uh, Sarah Palin once said that being an organizer like Barack Obama was mean G meant you had to have opinions without responsibility. Norquist has never had any responsibility for anything. He's always wrong, and yet he is still at the forefront of this debate. He shows up in like the sixth paragraph of the New York Times article, and I'm just like, what does he have to do? What do people have to do to prove that we shouldn't get their opinions? Karl Rove, still on the air. Uh, Sandstrom, uh, what's his name, uh, from Pennsylvania? Santorum. 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 Still on the air. Another loser. Right. Yeah, um, just... You know, um, what do they have to do? I think that's the thing is, like, they keep, they can't actually get into, like, office. They lose, and they have nothing better to do, and somebody's got to talk to the losers because the losers, it's, 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 it's a weird juxtaposition of, like, you want to talk to experts. Well, 
the actual experts are the people that hold office, people that actually dictate, you know, policies. The losers are the ones that go on TV, the ones that get quoted in these New York Times articles in the in these uh, stories. And th- to me, it does nothing but kind of prove the fact. Well, if they were actually successful at what they do, they wouldn't just be, um, like ad- you know, advising or. Uh, and to I'm be kidding. clear, Norquist never, not, not only did Norquist never run for office, but the only reason anyone knew who the fuck he was, was his brother had a job in the Reagan and then the Bush administrations, uh, Bush too. I mean, it really shows how far to the right the Republican Party has gone from where they were, like, even just under, like, Boehner's leadership, that Norquist is now, like, a guiding factor in what the House is going to do. You know, I mean, he was... He's always been around, but it was, he was always like, okay, yeah, he's the libertarian guy who thinks we shouldn't raise taxes. And now it's like, oh, no, he's like the policymaker. Right. He, he is He is a serious thinker in the Republican Party, which is he is not a serious thinker, but he is the Republican Party. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, last week I spoke kind of at length about uh, Dana White's improprieties and uh, the problems in our media apparatus. And this week I'm kind of going to do something similar and talk about White's brother from another, Vince McMahon, and the continued problems with our media apparatus. Um, About six months ago, uh, McMahon stepped down from the WWE Board of Governors, uh, Board of Directors, despite still holding, like, being the majority shareholder in the company, uh, following the disclosure that he paid tens of millions of dollars in NDAs uh, to former female employees for sexual misconduct, over sexual misconduct. Over that six months... Uh, the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, to those that are not uh, wrestling literate, has seen like an uptick in sort of their live attendance, their television ratings. Um, they are fast approaching a new television, new television contracts, which have the current deals have kept them even during a pandemic uh, with for 18 months, better part of 18 months, like no live attendance. Um, very flush, very profitable. Um, they did over a billion revenue in 2021 largely without live attendance. Um, it's a company very flush with cash and one that has gotten even kind of more, um, has seen some real success in the last six months since McMahon departed. Uh, when McMahon left, uh, basically the WWE was run by kind of a, a triumvirate, um, daughter Stephanie, um, kind of the public face, uh, the brand officer of the company. Uh, her husband, Vince's son-in-law, Paul Levesque, an ex-wrestler, uh, runs creative, runs the day-to-day kind of the, of the of the wrestling aspect of the business um and nick khan somebody that mcmahon brought in years back a formerly one of the most powerful agents in hollywood at creative artists was brought in basically to do two things um negotiate their last television deal which he did a masterful job at in terms of keeping the WWE coffers flush and to basically be the figurehead in a potential sale of the company when well, mcmahon's back he's back in the fold um, he's reshaped the board. He's brought in former allies. He's removed former and still dissidents from the board. Daughter Stephanie stepped down. She stepped away. McMahon has said that he will not interfere with Levesque's creative responsibilities. Um, but McMahon is here, in my mind, to do one thing. And that is, this is the World Wrestling Entertainment since 1976. It's his father's company, his, his grandfather's company. He took it national in the 80s. This is his child. He built this thing from a regional sort of carny territory into a publicly traded uh, company right now with a, a market share, a market cap, about $5 billion. 
uh, any potential sale that comes, I would imagine is going to fall between about six and eight billion dollars for a fucking professional wrestling company. A company that Vince McMahon uh, essentially built. Now let's look at like some of the potential buyers that are out there. You look at current TV partners, uh, NBC Universal, Comcast, flush with cash. They they um, the WWE's flagship show Monday Night Raw is USA is a Comcast network. Um, Peacock, their uh, streamer wing is the exclusive home for all of WWE's major shows, formerly pay-per-views. Now they stream exclusively on Peacock. That's a potential buyer. Fox owns their Friday night property, SmackDown. Um, Fox does not have a streamer of its own. Fox is flush with great sports properties. MLB, NFL, NASCAR, college football. Adding WWE into that mix could put them in position to launch something akin to like an ESPN+. Plus which leads us to Disney. There's no entity that is more flush with cash that could easily just cut a six, $8 billion check for WWE. Throw WWE into ESPN Plus, that only makes ESPN Plus that much more, um, you know, you're, gonna, you're going to see like a price increase in that, in that property, in that product. Um, Saudi Arabia, monkey in the room, the elephant in the room. Um, the kingdom that the WWE does business with, uh, multiple shows a year for n- for nine figures. It had broken a story had broken this week that the Saudis were going to buy the company. That it was essentially like more or less a done deal. It was walked back the next day. It was the kind of breaking story um, that like nobody I think properly vetted. Um, they're still in the mix for sure, but they're it's it's not nowhere near to, you know to a close deal. Netflix wants to get into live sports and streaming. Not that WWE is necessarily a sport but a live sports entertainment product. They're in the mix. Endeavor, the parent company of UFC. UFC and WWE together only raises their profile in the media hierarchy. And finally, um, the cons. Shahid Khan, owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL. Fulham, a Premier League side. His son, Tony, uh, runs All Elite Wrestling, the most successful sort of number two North American wrestling promotion of the last 25 years. Shahid Khan, his father, is the financial benefactor of AEW. They've got the cash. They can make it work. Um, Here's the problem. It's a fascinating media story. One that not only sports media, not only ESPN, SI, whatever, the Hollywood trades, Entertainment Weekly, Variety, Hollywood Reporter have been all over this story all week. And it's a very fascinating media sports media industry story to me. I, I think it's super interesting. Here's the problem. The whole linchpin of the entire situation is somebody that should have been cast off many, many, many years ago. And we thought he was gone six months ago. And that's Vince McMahon. The fact that Vince McMahon still remains the uh, biggest proverbial dick in this negotiating room. Literally, perhaps, you know, I'm sorry, figuratively, perhaps literally, I don't know. I don't want to you know, guess at that. But the fact that he's going to be a part the, the front man for these negotiations that, that he's going to be front and center with all of these huge media conglomerates despite a near half century of despicable uh, behavior that he really has not owned at any point. Stepped away, stepped away for six months and what? Comes right back. Um, there was a long narrative trope on WB programming throughout the 21st century in the late 90s too. Um, on-screen authority figures like McMahon, uh, Stephanie, Paul Levesque, Triple H, his on-screen persona, they would often talk about best for business. What's best for business? And um, Vince, in his, his departure, 
six months ago says, you know, the whole WWE catchphrase now is like, WWE, then, now, forever. McMahon being involved, McMahon being in the room for business. This is not best for business for anyone. Then, now, forever. Like, this is, this is bad. It's a bad look for anybody and everybody that is going to sit across the table from Vince McMahon and negotiate with that man. Um, really sad commentary on um, the state of entertainment and Hollywood and, you know, television. Yeah. And it it is a really interesting story because, like, what he did was, like, akin to a hostile takeover of his own daughter. Like, she resigned, what, like, the next day after he got reinstated? Something like that. Like, he basically took back the board, the business. And this is a guy that his career should have ended in the 90s with the steroid trials, you know, let alone, like, never mind the, the sexual misconduct allegations. Like, his, he's just gotten away with everything his whole career because he's really wealthy and there is very little that he, that he can do that will get people to turn off the WWE product. Um, it continues to do good ratings. It continues to be just a juggernaut of profit and revenue like they have now what three buildings in stanford that they own something like that they've got buildings internationally yeah um across the globe but yeah i mean this is a guy that vince mcmahon's punishment for making women sign ndas on sexual misconduct is going to be an eight billion dollar buyout yeah it's it'll be rival the sarver punishment or the snyder punishment you behave so badly you're going to be you're going to go from being unimaginably rich to unimaginably richer. Um, we say it all the time. If you're, ri- if you're a rich white male, there is literally nothing you can do to, to have to live up to the implications of your own actions. It, it's, it's never going to happen. I mean, your story is going to be the same, Zach. Now that we have a Congress, and as my dad had said, every Congress uh, person has been sat and uh, sworn in, it is time to talk about... Uh, what is easily uh, the saddest but also funniest uh, one of all of them, and that is one George Santos, a is it Long Island or Staten Island? Staten Island, a Staten Island Republican uh, who won because Andrew Cuomo worked with the Republicans to redistrict. Yep, uh, that Andrew Cuomo, the gift that never stops so giving. He that is why we have George Santos is Andrew Cuomo's uh, gerrymandered lines and. George Santos, since he has won uh, the race, it has come out that uh, he said he was Jewish and that he had a grandmother uh, that survived the Holocaust. Uh, He is not Jewish. He does not have a grandmother who survived the Holocaust. He said, I was Jew-ish, you know, as a way to cover what he meant. Uh, He said he was a successful trader on Wall Street for Goldman, uh, Sachs. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did not work at either of those places. Uh, he said he went to Baruch College and won a volleyball championship there. He uh, did not go to Baruch College and did not uh, win a national championship uh, there. Oh, God. Let's see. Uh, uh, his name, uh, it has come out. He introduced himself at a at an event for LGBT Republicans, uh, which, man, I, 
I would just love to be in that room. It, it would be a, well, you and the three other people there would yeah. be it would be great. Uh, he introduced himself as Anthony Devalder, not George Santos. Uh, bringing into question is is his name George Santos? Is it Anthony Devalder? Uh, he has gone by I guess several other names. Just come out. He's been evicted from multiple apartments. Uh, he's been evicted from multiple apartments. He yet somehow. He was able to give himself $700,000 in campaign contributions uh, during this last election cycle. He also had a penchant uh, for racking up $199.99 expenses, which is one penny under uh, what you need a receipt for when you claim a uh, campaign expense. He's wanted for fraud in Brazil. He's wanted for fraud in Brazil. And... uh, I gotta say, it's ev- it's the gift that keeps giving because every day it it reminds me of Trump when like every day there was something happening. It's like every day something new is coming out about this guy. You know, the other day you said he would resign if 142 people asked him to, and he was like, "No, I mean 142,000 the people I represent." But he said 142, which seems like a pretty low number. But he's gonna be on committees. Like he's not Kevin McCarthy is. A- going to put him on committees and give him work to do but to their credit to the staten island republicans credit uh party's credit they have called on him to resign so i'm going to push back a little bit on how much credit they get because he ran in 2020 as well and lost yeah and when they did this is an oppo research this is dealing with oppo research they noticed a lot of red flags, like the evictions came up. And wait a second, he has a charity, but it's not registered with the IRS. What, what? And then they couldn't find any record of the charity. So they had a lot of issues. Vendors for that campaign left the campaign because they did not trust him to pay their bills because he kept lying to them. And then they endorsed him again. I thought it was great. And there is no... Here, here's the issue. They knew enough that they could have pushed back. The Republican, I mean, there's a big article today. Uh, I, uh, Zach, I recommend you read it. It's in Apple News about this. They knew a lot. The Democrats also knew quite a bit. But the Democrats, all these races are funded through the New York Democratic Party and the DCCC. The DCCC did not really get involved in the race. Zimmerman asked them to, and they said, no, it's probably a safe seat because he lost by so much the last time, forgetting that it's been redistricted. Um, And to be fair, they did redistrict it, but it was unredistricted, which is why it was like, it was an old group got unredistricted. They didn't have the money to do it, and the DCCC did not put the money in to do opposition research because all of the New York State had to go into money, went into the governor's campaign, which they thought would be a cakewalk, but wasn't. Right, I don't give money to the DCCC. I give money to individual candidates. But this is kind of the problem with that theory is that there's no apparatus where you say, boy, there's a lot of stuff we can do here. The candidate did have, a, a Zimmerman's a candidate this time, did have a report ab- about him, but said many things needed to be looked at further. These need, things need to be second-guessed, but, you know, double-checked, blah, 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 blah. And Zimmerman said, yeah, we just don't really have the money for that. So we'll ask the DCCC to do it, and they didn't do it. 
And then they went to the press, New York Times, and said, you need to do an article on this. And the New York Times did in December. Yeah, after it already won. Right. So it was a failure. It's a complete failure of, of journalism. It's a complete failure of the Democratic Party. And it's a completely expected victory for the Republicans who knew they were running a imaginary candidate. And by the way, they will not ask him to resign because if they ask him to resign, they're going to lose the seat and their advantage in the house is going to go from five to four. Now, maybe it's my millennial cynicism, but now that he's here, I mean, you might as well enjoy it. Like, might, uh, he's here. Might as well. I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, at some level we're a democratic country and we're not, and we're now not because there's no, again, no implications. By the way, he's 34 years old. He looks like he's 50. Like, how's he 34? It gives me, really gives gives me and Zach some hope, but you know, <laughs> um, Staten Island man, Wu Tang, Paul Newman, Donald Teddy Trump, Atlas. Fuck, get out of here with that! Don't, <laughs> this man has done a disservice to to the many to the many great people of Staten Island. Um, like you said, all this shit was so it's so vettable, and, 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 and this like these this this national this national seat. Like how how do we not know this about a candidate, a candidate that wins? How do we, how does this not? It's mind-boggling. And, and Zach, you know, it, we see. Remember Eddie Jordan? Yep. Of course, the Wizards. Yep. Um, claimed that he like went and graduated from Kentucky, and he didn't. He went to Kentucky. He didn't graduate, and that kept him from getting like another job at some point. Like we're doing this with like fucking basketball coaches. We can't do it with elected national representatives. Like, and to give what's going on here? And I will give the Nassau County Republican Party some credit because they did call on him to resign. Yeah, and that's a seat that they're not winning back. I mean, you you can't you can't you know it's a, it's a close seat. It's a b- plus Biden district. They're definitely losing it in twenty four, right? Yeah, they're going to lose it in twenty four. It's a plus Biden seat, but but they did call for him to resign. Kevin McCarthy says we will not put him on major committees, but they seated him, and they should yeah. not have seated him. But there there was no chance that was happening. And so with that, we'll be back after the break for our main topic. I'm President Bubba, and I'm fixing government. What's that mean to you? Big savings. <laughs> yep, every stupid thing the government ever bought and never used is going to be sold below cost. Way below cost. Why? Because you won't believe what we paid for it in the first place. Bring in the first item, Tipper. Look at here. It's a combination airplane speedboat that our U.S. Marines swore up and down. They just couldn't do it out. Never been used. Price tag says $27 billion. It's yours for $1.29. And here's another government surplus item that looked real good on paper back when we thought we had the money to pay for it. Solid platinum toilet seat. Use them in the home. Use them in the office. Heck, hang one from your neck and start a rap group for all I care. <laughs> Get them three for a quarter while the incredible supplies last. You cannot afford to miss President Bubba's government surplus sale. Where else can you pay so little for something you already paid way too much for? So, we are here turning out our crystal balls to talk about the upcoming uh, 2023 NFL playoffs and maybe beyond. And we have every right to do that because, Zach, last week you correctly predicted the score of the Dolphins-Jets uh, game. Yes. You said it was 9-6, and you were correct. 
It was 9-6. You didn't pick a winner, but in that game, there were no winners. No, it, it actually, it, the Jets committed the safety at the last play of the game. Oh, right. It was 11-6. It was, it was right. I, we'll still call it. It cost, it cost Garrett Wilson, like, 12 yards. <laughs> if Olave if Olave wins rookie of the year because of that, it's going to suck. Under betters were winners in that game. Yes, I bet the under. Yeah, so you were a winner. So I, I just, I just started, I just started betting unders on that game. Sure, smart. Uh, here's a quick 2023 prediction. Sure. Who is the rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year in the NFL this year? Oh, I will say that it is going to be Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson. Yeah, it's going to be Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson. I think it'll be Olave because the defensive player gets it, but a real candidate is going to be Brock Purdy. Real candidate. He's been great over the no, last six no weeks. No doubt. Anyway. the six, But it's a six-game sample that works against him. Um, we'll see how the rest of this afternoon goes. But, yeah. So do we want to – let's start with – we'll start with our Super Bowl picks. Sure. Who beats who and, uh, in the Super Bowl? And then we'll pick other, you know, surprise picks we have. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, I'll start with you. Uh, I've hemmed and hawed about this for a while. So my NFC pick, not my AFC pick. Um, but I'm going to stick with something I said like about six weeks ago. Um, Chiefs win it all, but the Chiefs uh, beat the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Why do you think that? I mean, just... I think that I think Dallas is healthy. I think Dallas... Um, the Dallas that I saw beat Minnesota at Minnesota 41 to nothing, 41 to 3, whatever. Um, I thought, oh my God, like this team... This, this team's coming. This team has... both. They have just blue chip guys both sides of the ball a December where a lot of injuries um look the Niners rookie quarterback Purdy who's been great for over six weeks um but you know gotta see three games Prescott has not been good though he's not been good uh missed five games this year and still led the league in interceptions problem and and that's definitely a problem and I don't root for the Cowboys I have a weird sense that they're just kind of due and I again I think there's a lot of and they're healthy finally they're finally healthy a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Um, Parsons in a lot of games is the best player on the field. Um, this could be a star-making January for him. I don't think it by the Chiefs, though. Uh, the Chiefs have been they were my preseason Super Bowl pick. Um, I've seen nothing this year. Mahomes is the best player on the planet. Um, they really have not skipped a beat without uh, Terry Kill. Chiefs over Dallas. Possibly at multiple scores, too. That'd be... No, that wouldn't be... The, where the, where's the Super Bowl this year? Glendale, Glendale, Arizona. Glendale. Suburban Phoenix. Yes. Uh, I think for my Super Bowl prediction, uh, I've been saying this for weeks. Uh, I think the Vikings are coming out of the NFC. Uh, Everyone keeps saying they're going to, they should, they shouldn't be there, but they just keep winning. You know, yeah, they were down 30 to the Colts, but they still won the game. You know, yeah, they were a Braxton Berrios dropping the end zone away from losing to the Jets, but they still beat the Jets. You know, the best defense in the NFL. Um, I think they get to the Super Bowl, but they lose to the Bills. Uh, and I don't think that that game would be particularly close. I think the Bills are the best team in the NFL. Uh, Josh Allen is an incredible quarterback. The tandem of him and Diggs is really good. Then you add in like Isaiah McKenzie uh, out there as well. Plus the defense, you know, has been solid. Uh, I think it's I think it's the Bills year. I think they finally break the curse. Plus, if they if they and the Chiefs end up in the championship game, and it's a neutral site game. Yeah, it's in sure. it's in Atlanta. Correct. Which means bet the over. 
That's right. the over. Going to be really high in a, scoring. In a dome, on a t- on turf. That game's going to be... Yeah. Well, l- last time they played, the game was 55-49. Well, AFC... That wasn't the last time. It was, did, J- did, it was no, the, the, the AFC championship. Well, division, yeah. Divisional playoff. Yeah, right. Um, it was, yeah, right. Divisional playoffs. In cold weather. And I don't think the score was that high, but it was... No, low. it was like... It was in the 50s and 40s. Yeah. Not that game. You're thinking, you're thinking like Chiefs Rams for a couple no, years ago. No, 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 no. It was when the Chiefs. Well, we'll it was when uh, the no. Bills because they scored 33 points in the last yeah. four minutes or something. The Bills scored with 33 seconds to go, and then the Chiefs <laughs> went down the field. Good scored, and then it was clearly whoever won the coin flip was winning the game. Um, so I'm going to here's something no one ever does. I'm going to quote Jason Garrett, which to be honest, I got through the Ringer NFL podcast because I would not have watched Jason Garrett. Uh, the Cowboys are one and four in on natural turf this year because they're slow. It's a very slow team, and so they can't get anybody open. And uh, their first game is on natural turf. Sure. I think this has been the playoff of replay of repeats. Right, everything has been a re- every game. I think every single first game except for one is they've, a re- they've all been played. They've every all been played, year, and most of them twice because there's right. three divisional games. Right. In the so first everybody's round. already played. And our Super Bowl will be a game that was simply played two years ago. The Chiefs beat the Bucks by a lot, but the Chiefs beat the Bucks. Um, I don't believe in anybody in the AFC and NFC. Uh, I think, I mean, if Hurts is fine, but maybe he's not. Um, and uh, I don't believe I disagree about the Vikings strongly. As do I. And yeah. I will also say, <laughs> oh, thanks for speaking up. And also, well, that's, we're getting like hot takes, and I suppose we. I also Some think that at so. some point during this playoffs, we're going to remember that Brock Purdy was the last guy tra- drafted in, in uh, you know, that was drafted. That he has looked great. Um, it's We're doing this. Uh, I watched the first half of the uh, Niners-Seattle game, and I thought he looked not really good, but pretty good. Um, and But at some point, he's going to have a three-interception half, and um, that's going to come off the rails. I just, I don't know. I just feel like the Bucks are badly coached. Brady's not great anymore. But they'll have home, they're going to have home field in the first round. They get by the Cowboys. And then you got a, you got a, got a team with a hurt quarterback, a seventh-round pick, and a bunch of teams that are frauds. So I kind of, uh, we'll see. What surprises do you expect other than this? I do think the Vikings are a fraud. I don't think the New York Giants are a fraud. And I think the Giants have real potential to win two games. I don't see that. I, I like. I don't see them coming out of the NFC, but I do love them uh, tomorrow afternoon against Minnesota. Um, another team that they're going to get like their five best defensive players on the field for the first time, I believe, all year. Um, Dexter Lawrence, Thibodeau, uh, Ajilari, their other edge rusher, Xavier McKinney in their first uh, choice corner. Um, Who's name? Adderay Jackson. Adderay Jackson. Thank you. They haven't played together all year. Um, team finds a way, and have they been? Lucky, I mean, sure, but if you look at their record of like nine, seven, and one, point differential wise, a lot of the like advanced stuff, like they're not a bad nine, seven, and one. They're not a team like Minnesota has basically been outscored over the course of the season. That's generally doesn't make them necessarily bad, but as in terms of a predictor of future success, like point differential is typically useful and instructive. Um, the Giants, Brian Dable, to me, is the coach of the year. Um, no shade to Kevin O'Connell, who I think has done... A, the fact that they've won so many close games can also be like a testament to like good coaching. I think he's a good coach. I think he's gotten the most out of um, Kirk Cousins, who I, I don't... I'm not sure he was very good this year. 
Um, well, uh, I am. He was very not good. He was very not good. Like, and, and yet they, and yet they still did what they did. Look, and it's it's been memed to death, and I and it's it's funny, and I'm not using this as anything. This is not a betting advice, but like, four twenty five Kirk is not one o'clock Kirk. Kirk Cousins plays really well in the one o'clock window. Plays really poorly in that four twenty five primetime window. It's been his whole career. Um, this Giants team's gonna be after him. Thibodeau has been one of the best defense players in the league over the last several weeks. Um, I think he's gonna eat Cousins' lunch. Um, I just really love the Giants this game, I, and I think the Giants are very live the next week as well. I only know this because I placed my futures bet uh, today. But would you put money on the Giants win the Super Bowl at plus fifty five hundred? I put a couple bucks on that. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's a decent value. I think it's a decent price. So there is a statistic that exists, which is called points uh, above expectation or below expectation based on luck. And luck is viewed as, there are two things really that come into luck. One is missed kicks. Because that's just luck. I mean, it's not if you block them, but they take the blocks out. So missed kicks is is one. And the other is fumble fumble luck. Mm. Fumble recovery. Yeah. The... Vikings on by that metric are fifth in the league in points above expectation based on luck. The number one team, the Giants. Giants. The Giants have more points yeah. based on fumble recoveries and, and missed field goals and everything. Now that may that may come back to bite them next year. Um, I I don't think I would put it. Uh, I cannot imagine a world where the Giants beat an AFC team. No. Any of the three. But to get there into no, no I I mean I mean to make it yeah. I might I might put some money on them making it so so I'm gonna go with, for my surprise I think um, the thing we'll see in the playoffs that's gonna be surprising is I think the Jags could win a couple of games I I uh, I watched them a couple times I watched them basically when they played the Jets and when they were in prime time um, and both times Trevor Lawrence is just a very impressive quarterback. And that team has almost no weapons, and they still find a way to score. He looked, he looked bad in this in the week eighteen game. Um, yeah, he did not have his best. The last stuff. second half, especially. Right. Yeah. The second half, he uh, fell apart in the second half. But the first half was. No, no. I, I will make this prediction that by the end of the playoffs, and of course, all of this depends on the Sunday game. By the end of the playoffs, the question: Who's better, Trevor or Lawrence, or Justin Herbert is going to be a real conversation. I do not agree with that. Because I think, well, if, if Lawrence <laughs> wins two playoff games. Sure. But or, or if Lawrence outplays him again, because he outplayed him badly in the regular season. We'll see. We'll see. Herbert was hurt. And, but, you know, well, Herbert still I think, hurt. I think Lawrence is still like a year behind that. Right. Like he's a year away from getting that Herbert, Herbert level. I mean, we'll well, know, he's a year we'll behind know, him in terms of career. Of course. We'll, we'll yeah. know the answer to this in like, you know, it's 7, what, 7.15 right now. We'll he know the answer to this in like an hour. For sure. You know, who's, who's the better quarterback? Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be a real live conversation. And, and you've got three up-and-coming quarterbacks. Bur- you got Burrow to that list. And the question, who's going to be the best of them, yeah. is, no, of course, Burrow and, and Lamar Jackson are about the same age. So if you put Burrow on the list, you have to put Jackson on the list. And then it's not really a conversation because Jackson has an MVP behind him. Um, any chance that the Ravens win a game? That defense is really good. Um, that's the only thing that I like the Bengals in that game. I'm I'm picking in my head. I expect the Bengals to win, but um, Huntley's not terrible. 
if he can manage a game, not turn it over, that defense has been awesome in the second half. And it's really carried them. Huntley really has not played particularly well over these no, like, played, seven or eight games. He played well last year. He has not played well this not year. Played well this year. That defense has really carried them. They wouldn't be in this position if that defense hadn't played at this at this level. There's no guarantee Huntley plays. I mean, he, he even as of, I think, this afternoon, the report I saw was he's like, I'm at 90%. Yeah. You know, he's not at 100%. But the thing we know about the Bengals is they're going to put points on the board. Like, they're going to put touchdowns up. Burrow struggles with the Ravens. Those those AFC North games always kind of come in low. They you think, it, you think it's going to be a rock fight? I, I'm, I believe more... In the, I'll say this. I believe more in the under on this game than I do um Do you know what the weather. over-under is? I don't. It's got to be like 46. Um, no. Or, oh, it's going to be like 41. Yeah, um, that. I also would say that, that the chance of Chase or Higgins making a big play is so much better than anybody on the Ravens if Jackson's For sure. And that's, and that's the difference in the game. It's the skill position talent, no doubt. Yeah, the over-under uh, in that game is 40. And a half. That's a good number. Yep. That's yeah, a good that's number. A th- yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like if it's 21 18, you 21 yeah. 17, you come in, but if and it's 24 kind of 21, you yeah. lose. That's, but, yeah. Well, Vegas is good at this stuff. All right. So that's kind of, I mean, some of this is we're just talking about stuff that for our listeners has already happened. Let's talk about a couple other things. Who will be the Jets starting quarterback next year? Andrew. Derek Carr. Zach. I'm very torn because I have who I hope the Jets would invest a lot of money in to get, especially since Woody Johnson just said, like, I'm invested in getting a veteran QB. The the, the Ravens are going to franchise tag. I know. But I I think there's a – does Rodgers retire or not? It's going to be Carr. It's going to be Derek Carr. And we're going to hire – I I feel like that's the smart I think, I think Carr. I, I could I, be wrong. I, but. Just to be contrarian, I think Purdy's played well enough so that they don't uh, – the Niners don't want to walk in with three quarterbacks next year. Right. I think it'll be Jimmy G. Um, that's a real live possibility. I think I, I, think I would just selfishly pr- prefer Carr um, over Garoppolo's inability to just right. finish the season. Who will be the number one pick in the draft? And by whom? Will it be by? We know who it's going to be. Oh, well, okay. Because you're going to have to yeah. trade. I think the Bears will trade this pick. I think they're going to stand put and take Will Anderson. I think the Texans trade the Bears and they flip two to one and Bryce the, Young and they get Bryce Young. That's. I, I think I'm not a hundred percent sure who it's going to be that that does it. I think it's hard for the Falcons to get there. I think it's going to be C.J. Stroud. I think it's going to be really yeah, hard. I, you think he's going to go? You think Stroud's going to I think, number one? Well, I, that, I that, think Ohio, that, that Ohio State Georgia game. We watched that together. These C.J. Guys are, Stroud. The best tape that's awesome. Oh, that, yeah. These guys aren't geniuses. I mean, they just no, say, "Well, oh, the owner says I want that guy." Also, they're going to actually meet Bryce Young at the combine, and he's going to look like he's their 11 year old nephew. He's smaller than Murray. Like he's yeah. historically the. I say historically small. He's no. He's like the smallest like quarterback prospect like ever. By most measurables, um, I think they'll do the Tex- do, do the Texans are the Bears like? Do you have to trade up to one to get a quarterback? Like if the Bears just of course the Bears want to trade out, but if you're not if you're sitting number two, like well, okay, you di- you dare the Bears 
to so take a like they're not, you, they're not you, take you're not daring the bears you're daring anybody a team you're daring further behind to trade up yeah, to right, and if yeah. you're a quarterback prospect in this draft that's really worth what what it's going to take to get from conceivably 4 right. 5 or 6 to 1 let's talk about what they what was traded to get uh, Jared Goff I get it <laughs> I I just see we've seen that happen don't you think we no, Again, no one, I know. The NFL words <laughs> nothing ever. You know, I, I, one of my predictions. It happen and fail. Well, one of my predictions yeah. is that no, the NFL will learn absolutely nothing from the Demar Hamlin incident, and will just continue yeah. to act as though it never happened because nobody learns anything. Last one: Is this Bell? Is the twenty twenty three season Bill Bel, uh, Bill Belichick's last year as a head coach? And if so, who's going to be his OC? Or if not, who's going to be his OC? Yes. I, it, oh, go ahead. oh go no, ahead. no, no, no. Go. Follow you. Follow you. Um, you're you're a hell of a lot smarter on this stuff than I am. I'm so not really. It's easy I'm kind fight. of it's just kind of spitballing a little bit. But I, it's his last season in New England for sure. This is a this is the last ride. And um, as far as an OC, you think he's gonna run it back? Well, he's already looking for. They're already announcing for him. Um, he'll he'll bring in some he'll bring in some retread establishment guy that might have a connection. I don't know, like a, I mentioned this off air. I, I don't know, like a Daryl Bevel type. Um, I imagine they're going to go to war. They're going to go. I, I, I imagine Matt Jones enters camp there as the, it's his job. Yep. I don't think Belichick's married to him. I think whoever they hire is going to be a, a quote unquote so called like quarterback guru that can. I think Matt Jones sucks, and I don't. I think he's kind of beyond redemption. But no, like maybe like Daryl Bevel, something like that. Um. I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick retires before the 2023 season, but yeah, I think 2023 season. Uh, I think he's he's he has realized that the legacy should have ended when Brady left. He did a he did a objectively terrible job coaching this team that, that team this year. Team almost yeah. made the playoffs too. I understand, but yeah. it's an objectively terrible sure. job. Um, he's got a lot of talent on defense. He's a good defensive coach. I know that. Our friend at the bar always says his kids are really good too, but I just don't believe it. Um, but which friend? I'm Chris. <laughs> I think I have two. I think it would be Bill O'Brien if he hires right away. But if he waits, I could see Frank Reich taking that job, rehabilitating his image. But Frank Reich might want to kill. Um, he might want to kill Belichick. But I could see Reich taking it and saying, you know what? I'm gonna. Re- I'm gonna. You know, I screwed up the quarterback. You know, I would have had my job if I had kept screwing up quarterback. I'm going to make Mac Jones a top 15 quarterback, and then I'll get whatever job I want. Fair. Bill O'Brien's not done a good job with the with Alabama. And you said that, and I, I've heard his name linked to like head coaching jobs this off season. Which yeah, is because insane. yeah, he's an old um, white guy. Yeah. And with that, our crystal ball is now complete. I was cr- wrong in saying that Zach had the score right last week, but he should have because it should have been nine six. And we will see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective. As always, we thank you for joining us here. And if you liked today's episode, smash that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let's help grow the collective brand. We'll see you all next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.